Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. Good to see you again on the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable, where we wrap up the news of the week with three of Washington's top political reporters. Well, Washington's never seen anything like it. President Zelensky's powerful video address to members of Congress, where he thanked the United States for all of our support so far, but asked for still more, starting with a no-fly zone. Will he get what he wants? How far are Congress and the White House willing to go to defend Ukraine and crush Vladimir Putin? In other news, tired of remembering to change your clocks twice a year? Well, you may not have to do so anymore if the House joins the Senate in making daylight savings time permanent. And is still not sure Donald Trump will run again in 2024, but this much is sure. If he does, Mike Pence won't be his running mate. <laughs> Here to sort it out for all of us today, our outstanding panel, Jennifer Habercorn, back with us as congressional correspondent for the LA Times. Hi, Jen. Hi, Bill. Jason Dick, deputy editor of CQ Roll Call. Hello, Jason. Good morning, Bill. And uh, making his first appearance on the Bill Press Pod, Tom Lobianco, political reporter for Yahoo News and author of Piety and Power, Mike Pence and the Taking of the White House. Hello, Tom. Welcome. Hey, Bill. Good to be here. President Biden, I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. And of course, that was President Zaleski's powerful conclusion to his speech to a joint session of Congress. Jen, set the scene for us. Where did it take place and what was the reaction? So this was um, in a, uh, a meeting room in the Capitol, not the traditional House chamber that we're used to for these kind of sessions of Congress. And, um, you know, lawmakers came out of that meeting, um, you know, some were emotional, you know, there was a very powerful video Zelensky showed that I'm sure a lot of folks have seen of um, the destruction in Ukraine, the violence against children. Um, and, you know, we kind of expected that lawmakers were going to come out of this, you know, and putting pressure on the White House and Biden to do more to help Ukraine. But I think it was even more than we were expecting because it was such a powerful presentation. And um, there's, you know, clearly a lot of sympathy there. Whether it's actually going to move the ball, um, a little to be determined. Obviously, President Biden announced within a couple hours of Zelensky's speech a new round of support that the United States was going to send to Ukraine. 
But, you know, there was still a hard stop at a no-fly zone. Um, there was even some, you know, frustration expressed by lawmakers, both Democrats and Republicans, that this term no-fly zone is a, is a little um, uh, difficult because, you know, this is um, – it's it's a confusing topic and uh you know ukraine could set up their own no fly zone if they really wanted to and had the um, military support to do it so again not sure it it totally moved the ball but it definitely built up a lot of uh, a lot more i should say support for ukraine that was there originally right yeah jason that seemed to be certainly president Zelensky's top ask was the no fly zone even they even had a graphic there right close the sky um, but, uh, afterward, um, and, and he, didn't he seem to realize that was going to not going to fly, if you will, the no fly and not fly, because he said, well, if you can't do that, here's, a, here's something else you could do. Yeah. I, I look at it like that's the big ask. Uh, and, and part of the reason, you know, as, as, you know, Jen was uh, uh, alluding to is that most people don't really understand what a no fly zone is. Uh, I think when, when you hear the term, uh, people who don't, uh, you know, have a, a military background or are not, you know, sort of tutored in the ways of war, think it's just like, oh yeah, we'll just tell a, uh, you know, Southwest Airlines not to fly over the country. Or something. <laughs> right. uh, no, this is basically this is more of an engagement in war than actually having troops on the ground. Uh, I mean, you, because if you are going to enforce a no-fly zone, that means military. Uh, aircraft are not allowed to fly over it, and you have to be willing to enforce that. Uh, and the only way to enforce uh, military, uh, it's saying military aircraft can't go over, is with other military aircraft, and those sort of things can escalate quickly. So, uh, you know, Zelensky is well aware that we're not quite ready to uh, start World War Three. I mean, you know, Vladimir Putin has really started this war, but we're not ready to engage at this point in World War Three. But that's basically what it means. I mean, a no-fly zone means that the United States is going to dedicate more than just, you know, advisors and a few weapons, you know, that we send there, but it will actively be engaged in military operations. And that's a step that we're not at yet. Yeah. Tom, I find the politics of this curious uh, in that on on the Republican side. Um, Mm -hmm. The headline in the New York Times this morning, Republicans line up to support Kiev but blame the war on Biden. I mean, so, <laughs> so, so they're kind of caught in between here, right? They want to do everything they can to help Zelensky, but somehow they have to find a way that this is Biden's war, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's actually a pretty accurate description also of like most of the shadow primary for the Republicans in 24, right? I mean, that was like the Tom Cotton mm. speech at the Reagan library a little over a week ago. That's kind of the Marco Rubio position when he's on the Intel committee. Uh, Ted Cruz, Ted still Cruz. candidate. Ted Cruz, man, you know, I know a lot of people are hot on him again. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was Ben Jacobs had a piece in New York uh, Magazine, I think, about uh, recently about uh, him taking a victory lap on opposing Putin on Nord Stream 2. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that's like that's the closest thing you can get right now to like a, a cohesive Republican position on this, because, you know, the broader thing that's been happening and I guess what we're watching for and I wrote about this in Yahoo this week is, you know, is this a total reset of the right? You know, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. like Candace Owens, who used to dominate in this sphere 
And I'm not sure that they do anymore. I mean, I'm not sure that Twitter itself is a very good gauge of like, you know, where the entirety of the right of center in this country is right now. But like people like Candace Owens, who are calling Zelensky a thug, you know, basically parroting the same stuff that Putin is putting out there. uh, They are not getting the same traction the way they used to. And the people who are getting traction are it's it's Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. You know, Mitt Romney, who we, you know, he, we left for dead politically, you know, yeah. and now all of a sudden he is in vogue a decade later. Yeah. Right. So, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, Jason, there certainly is a difference uh, seeing Zelensky in front of the Congress and everybody giving him the standing ovation. Uh, it's not exactly the way Republicans um responded to Zelensky a few years ago when Donald Trump said, well, I'll give you a little bit of help, but not a penny unless you investigate Hunter Biden, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it is this weird, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it was, uh, you know, Brian Schatz, you know, was 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 quoted, I, I, I can't remember if it was in the New York Times, uh, but, but saying, you know, it's okay for reporters to remember that uh, Donald Trump uh, withheld military aid to, to specifically unless Zelensky helped him out uh, against in his campaign against Joe Biden. I mean, it, it's it is this weird, um, you know, people sort of whistling past these these right. sort of things. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's hard to comprehend. Uh, right. So, Jen, uh, the president, President Zelensky spoke to he addressed the um, the UK Parliament. Right. He addressed the, uh, the United States Congress. He addressed the German parliament, whatever it's called, um, while Vladimir Putin <laughs> keeps giving these off-the-wall speeches to the, the Russian people. There's another war going on, which is the spin war, right, it seems to me. And isn't Zelensky winning that one hands down? Oh, absolutely. And you even just think about the fact that he's, the fact that he's going to legislatures is really smart. You know, he's been dealing mostly in one-on-one conversations with foreign leaders up until a couple days ago. And, you know, presumably those conversations are fruitful, um, but they only go so far. The public doesn't see it. The broadcast networks, you know, air Zelensky's speech here and Mm -hmm. presumably in other places as well. And, you know, just I don't want to overstate um, clothing but just the fact that he oh. showed up to Congress in a, you know, army glad, uh, army green T-shirt was very powerful. Um, and granted, it was wow. virtual, but um, you know, to have a foreign leader appearing before Congress from his war-torn capital um, made for a very compelling presentation. And um, uh, you know, if if these one-on-one conversations with foreign leaders are not getting him where he wants to be, he's really going to the people at this point. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, very effective and, you know, whether that's part of his background as an entertainer, um, I don't know, but, uh, I, I, I think it works. It's a brilliant public relations or publicity strategy with, I mean, that side of it, it's a lot more serious than that, but certainly, mm-hmm. uh, I think brilliantly. Uh, so, um, Tom, President Biden uh, this week, maybe off the cuff, or maybe 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 planned it ahead of time, uh, certainly raised the stakes in his comments about Vladimir Putin. Um, uh, he, here, here he is just uh, yesterday, I think, at the White House. A murderous dictator, a pure thug who is waging an immoral war against the people of Ukraine. 
And he also called him, of course, a called him a war criminal. Um, yeah. What's behind the strategy, Tom? Yeah, I think? mean, you know, look at the look at the run up to this, right? And you know, you saw a lot of people talking about Biden. You know, Biden really like exercising what he came up with as a senator, as a foreign policy expert. The reason he was picked for the ticket with Obama way back in you know two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, building coalitions, they execute on it, and it, and it worked right at the at the outset of this thing. Right. And you know, it's such a controlled White House, and it's such so my God, such such the anathema of the last you know the prior four years. And you like we're kind of in a way back to the way things used to operate under Obama, which is like this incredibly tight White House. You know, mm-hmm. all of us in the press corps are left to write takes because that's what we you know that's what you get right instead of these wild <laughs> stories out of there you mm-hmm. know about you know who's who's sleeping with who whatever you know whatever scandal of the day it is you know under the trump administration um and and you kind of i don't know man it looks like biden's kind of letting it spill out a little bit right you know you have jen Psaki go out there you know around two o'clock every day and it's like, oh, well, you know, not really. You know, we're not really talking about that. And just kind of pats it down, tamps it down a little bit. And Biden's like, no, this guy's a murderous dictator. That's what yeah. I said. <laughs> um, and it's kind of spilling out, right? Like, and I, I don't know. I mean, what's so fascinating about this, if you look at the numbers, and again, you know, kind of build on, you know, where, why the Republicans are treating this way they are and where the apprehension is from the Democrats on this is that, you see so much universal, almost universal support. I mean, the closest thing you could find in this modern era of politics to universal support, like 80% yeah. support for Ukraine, for Zelensky, anti-Putin. But when you get to Biden himself, the number bifurcates again. And you go, you know, it's, it's 50-50, you know, that the country is split. It's even, you know, even worse than that for him. Right. And I don't know. I mean, like, does control work for him politically? I guess that's the question here, right? Like, you know, do they need, does he need to let it out more? Does he need to start talking about thugs more often and murderous dictators more often? Maybe, you know? So, Jason, uh, the stakes get a little higher today uh, in about an hour or so uh, from our uh, taping. Uh, the president, President Biden, will be speaking with President Xi of China. Uh, what message do we expect him to take to the president of China? Uh, I, I would guess that um, he Biden will probably emphasize that Putin is going to be increasingly isolated on a world stage. Um, you know, like he again, as 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 y'all just saying, you know, he called him a war criminal yesterday, which implies that uh, even after maybe there's a ceasefire, that they'll go after him at the Hague. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, like they did with Milosevic, you know, in in the Balkan Wars in the nineties, and I, you know, Xi is yes an autocrat, and he 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 likes him some uh, absolute control over his country, but he also likes the money. He likes being a capitalist, a control capitalist. He likes uh, the the fact that the, one of the things that enables him to stay in power is that China has had a rising, um, you know, like standard of living for for decades now. If they have to rely, uh, you know, if, if if the United States and other Western countries begin um, sanctioning other countries who are 
are cooperating with the Russians or are, are continuing trade with the Russians and so forth, that uh, that's a pretty stark choice. Like keep, you know, keep importing Teslas <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or, or keep hanging out with, with Vladimir Putin. Those are your choices. Uh, and I, you know, it, again, if they're playing hardball, you know, if Biden is playing hardball and his, and his team wants to do that, they will probably emphasize to, to President Xi that like, there's a choice. You can be with Vladimir Putin or you can be with the people who uh, make sure that the economy keeps humming along and keeps you in power. Right. Um, so uh, a couple of references already to the impact this war is having on on uh, American politics. Uh, Donald Trump certainly started out calling President uh, Putin a genius, saying it was very savvy and smart what he was doing uh, in Ukraine. Uh, the Republican Party has not necessarily followed lockstep with Donald Trump on this issue. Jen, do you think this signals maybe the beginning of a, a break with Trump that he's starting to lose his grip on the GOP? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, we've had six years of, you know, this tortured relationship sometimes between congressional Republicans and Donald Trump. And there's been moments where it looks like it was going to break and then ultimately it does not. And um, it's hard to see if the, you know, insurrection didn't do it, that um, mm. this would. Uh, at the same time, you know, I was surprised, um, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy came out uh, last week and and said, you know, there's no place in the Republican Party for um, Putin apologists. Right. Um, that that was surprising to me, but I don't think that's the sign of, of, a, of a permanent break. Um, like I said, it, it's it's we've just been through too much mm-hmm. um, and seen too much between them for for there to be a permanent break. Well, Tom, you've reported that this uh, it does present an opportunity for Mike Pence. He and his mm-hmm. wife actually went uh, to the border of the war, right, to help the refugees there. A clear break with uh, with Donald Trump over Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pence uh, Pence. Uh, I'll repeat the same thing I came away with, you know, after writing the book. I mean, Pence as a weather vane for where the you know, quote unquote conventional right is at any given moment is, I mean, he's tremendous at that. And the fact that like, you know, look, he goes and he goes to the RNC donor retreat down in New Orleans at the beginning of the month and says, you know, the same thing that McCarthy said, Jen pointed out, right, that, you know, there's no room in the party for apologists for Putin. Um, you know, he does not get a, a, a brush back pitch from Trump after that. Uh, you know, Trump is flailing right now. He's trying to, you know, Sean Hannity, you know, sometimes cable news host, sometimes Trump advisor, sometimes something else, who knows, <laughs> uh, is on there saying, you know, telling Trump in a 30 minute phone interview, hey, come on, like, you don't actually think he's a genius do you like maybe like evil could you put evil in front of that and then maybe like yeah try try maybe you're like spoon feeding him you know that's what we do with our kid right you spoon feed him like come on man do the vegetables like you know you got this and he doesn't take it and pence is like is seeing this opening and i think you see the same thing happening with the republicans and you know it kind of like to this point of like you know is this like the stake, you know, the political stake in the heart for Trump? Is it the end of uh, populism on the right? Hard to tell right now. You know, it's everything's mm-hmm. like I'm seeing and I'm hearing a lot of apprehension uh, about Trump from my Republican sources, but nobody quite ready to write him off just yet. 
but his handling of this, and I think this goes to a, a point that I've heard from his people before, right after he left the White House, uh, that he lost the trappings around him. You know, he lost the trappings of power, and he doesn't know how to respond to these things anymore, and he is flailing. There was another insight, Jason, into uh, Trump's thinking this week from someone who has um, emerged uh, for some time. He's been one of the chief critics of Trump on CNN. Um, George Conway, married, of course, to someone who <laughs> had a very big job around Donald Trump, ran his campaign in 2016. Uh, here's George Conway this week. As a matter of law, he learned in so many different ways that he had lost. And frankly, he he said to people, one of whom I know very well, but I won't <laughs> specify who she is, that how could I have lost to this guy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she basically said, you know, basically you ran a crappy campaign. <laughs> she wasn't alone in telling people that. Again, I'm not, not going to say who that was. I find that stunning, Jason. So Conway is saying Trump knew he lost. He's known he lost from the beginning. He just the, – the big lie really is a big lie. Yeah, he's he's got – Nothing else, right? I mean, like, I mean, you know, th- th- I mean, this is the shtick. He's, he, you know, he's a he's an aging baby boomer, uh, and and he's sticking to the script, you know. Um, and and there's nothing else to do. I mean, he's not going to, um, you know, he. he uh, I have a friend who wrote a book about Trump a few years back about him being a wrestler, and you know, he is a professional wrestler. He's in the the, the WWE Hall of Fame. He's really good friends with the McMahons. Uh, and and he is sticking to this script, and and the you know one of the biggest you know rules in wrestling is you do not break what they call kayfabe. You you don't let people in on the fact that you you know that this is BS, uh, that this is fake, uh, because they, you just can't like you you can't recover from that. And and to Tom's point, I don't you know there is some flailing going on. Uh, I mean, I, I I thought you know it was amazing. You know, somebody asked him. You know what? What do you think of Biden now? You know, and and he's you know, and how he's handling Russia. And and Trump said you know earlier this week, oh, it's a, he's a disgrace. You know, you know, he was on the golf course. <laughs> like, <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't in the White House. You know, surrounded by the trappings of power. He wasn't. You know, organizing humanitarian aid or visiting. You know, Poland's border like Pence. You know, I mean, he was on the golf course saying that. I mean, this is just who this guy is. Right. Well, um, in other news, breaking news. Congress actually got something done this week. Oh, my God. (laughs) How did that happen? We'll find out uh, from our panel after we take a quick break. Our panel today, Tom LoBianco from Yahoo News, Jennifer Habercorn from the LA Times, and Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call. Quick break. We'll be right back. And today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod, I wanted to tell you, you know, all of us are wondering, okay, What can we do to help? We see these crushing videos of the refugees and families at the border getting separated and people being dug out of the rubble uh, in Mariupol and so many other Ukrainian cities. How can we help? Here's what uh, Carol and I, my wife, came up with as, as a way to help, and that is the World Central Kitchen. Jose Andres, God love him. He is on the site of every natural disaster and this um, Vladimir Putin disaster. They are there not just handing out free meals, millions and millions of hot meals, but also helping people reconnect with their families, getting rides to safety, getting clothing and everything. They're in Ukraine. They're in Romania. They're in Moldova. 
and we can help the World Central Kitchen help the people of Ukraine. Here's how you do it. Just go to their website, wck.org, wck.org. Send whatever help you can to the people of Ukraine and to the World Central Kitchen. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back on uh, the Bill Press Pod. Today's roundtable, a great panel with Jason Dick, deputy editor of CQ Roll Call, Tom Lobianco, political reporter for Yahoo News, and Jennifer Habercorn, congressional correspondent for the LA Times. So, Jen, this week, Congress, it almost, the Senate at any rate, they kind of surprised themselves by doing something. They said, you, by, <laughs> by unanimous consent, we're going to make daylight savings time permanent. What happened? Where'd that come yeah, from? Yeah, it was pretty wild. And, you know, I, I obviously keep a close eye on Congress and this happened. And I was like, wait, where where did this come from? I thought I was a bad <laughs> reporter for a second. But it turned out that most lawmakers were surprised by this, too. Um, you know, the Senate has this tradition if a lawmaker you know wants to make a show of their bill getting you know knocked down by the other side they go to the floor and say i ask unanimous consent that my bill pass and usually it's theatrical because the other side knows that it's coming so they yeah. go to the floor and they plan it out and they say no and you know it ends up on twitter but this time uh marco rubio did that and no one said no and <laughs> Kirsten Cinema was presiding over the chamber at the time, and she kind of looked surprised. C-SPAN, you know, caught her, and um, she, you know, excitedly gaveled it in, and uh, it goes, yes. And um, it shocked everybody. And, you know, there was some good reporting afterward that, um, you know, Rubio presumably did do the proper procedures of notifying all of his colleagues that he was going to do this, but that message didn't appear to get to every lawmaker. Um, And, you know, some were saying, well, I don't know how I feel about this or they oppose it. And so now the question is, 
you know, does, will I get through the house? Um, and I think there's some second guessing going on in the Senate, you know, do they try to get their house colleagues to stop this? Um, <laughs> but it's, it was, a it was relatively remarkable in terms of Congress getting something done, even if some of them did not mean to. Uh, well, Jason, this begs the question, doesn't it? Is this a good idea? <laughs> well, uh, you may be you may be asking somebody who has uh, a, a, a fairly unique perspective on this. Being uh, an Arizona uh, native, uh, born and raised uh, several generations in, we do not change our clocks in Arizona. Right. We never one of, have one of the <laughs> one of the two states, Arizona yeah. and Hawaii. Right. <laughs> I mean, to me, it is this is. This has driven me nuts ever since I moved, you know, to the East Coast. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. I would rather just, you know, my body adjust to the circadian rhythms that of wherever I am, you know, for whenever the sun comes up and whenever it goes down. I think I, I don't know, you know, like people say, like, oh, well, you know, more people will have heart attacks or, you know, like, you know, like kids will get cold in the morning, and I, I mean, I just. I don't know where all that stacks up, but I just know that like we, we, we seem to get by just fine in Arizona, not having to change our clocks twice a year. And I'm all for it. (laughs) So Tom, uh, what I haven't seen many people point out is that we tried this before, right? In 1974, (laughs) they made it permanent and people complained so much because kids were getting up in the dark, having to get the school bus, you know, and, and, and so they dropped it. So we don't learn from our mistakes. Is that what this is all about? You know, I, I feel like I would be remiss if I, if I didn't insert some Indiana, some good Hoosier oh. uh, hospitality into this conversation. Okay. <laughs> you know, but, I remember the first time I moved out there back in what, 2011, um, I was up until like nine thirty at night. It was in May, 2011. And, the sun was still up and I'm like, what in the holy hell is going on out here? I'm like, what did they put in the corn? And I'm just like, <laughs> and it was weird for sure. You know? And of course, you know, politically Mitch Daniels went through all this too. It almost, it almost sank him back when he did this back. And I think back in 2006, he put Indiana on daylight savings time for the yeah. most part, you know, leaving out like uh-huh. uh, Lake County up around Chicago. But you know, it's funny what Jen brought up there about the, the congressional chicanery, which we never see in Congress, and you see all the time in the state houses, because Congress is typically, as, as Jen said, it's typically so controlled, it's mm-hmm. typically so mm-hmm. staged. This reminded me of like one of my favorite flubs out, out of the state house, out of a legislature, Indiana, two thousand twelve. Ryan Dvorak, uh, uh, state representative from uh, South Bend, uh, Pete Buttigieg's uh, area. Um, it was uh, it was on the uh, floor debating a bill that would uh, ban uh, it would require drug testing for welfare recipients, and you know Republican controlled legislature and they're pushing it saying that there needs to be a responsibility for anybody who is on the public dole. All right, so Dvorak, a Democrat from South Bend, gets up and says, "I agree," which is why I have submitted this amendment, which would require that. Every lawmaker in the state take a drug test too before they get each paycheck. And that effing thing passed narrowly. It was like 58 to 42 and nobody knew what the hell to do with it. It was chaos. It was the greatest thing in the world. So So, Jen, 
Jen, just building from that, maybe uh, the Senate ought to try this more often, right? Maybe they would, maybe they would get more done if they use this tactic. Yeah, you know, it definitely has raised some questions as to um, whether lawmakers should try this more often. And, you know, the Senate is so old and curmudgeonly and set in their ways that it's hard to see um, anyone trying it because they know the alternative is that the other party um, is going to try the same thing. And, uh, yeah. you know, if 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 anything, the minority is going to have to have some senator just assigned to the floor to sit there and say no to anything that the majority tries to pass. So, um, you know, the Senate likes their uh, uh, being able to go home early and not have to do tasks like that enough that I don't see this becoming a real threat. <laughs> By the way, I just want a final point on this. I, I saw a poll this week. I forget now exactly whose poll it was of the American people. What do they think about this issue? Uh, and you may not be uh, surprised to learn that the American people were split three ways on this, exactly three. One third want full-time of permanent daylight savings, one third want permanent standard time, and one third just want to leave it just the way it is and change their clocks twice a year. So there you go, right? <laughs> Americans can't make up uh, their mind on this. I want to circle back to the spin war uh, of aspect of the war in Ukraine uh, as it impacts the American people, uh, I'm sorry, the Russian people. Not many people are talking about that, but I was struck this week by former California governor Arnold Schwarzenegger speaking out, speaking to and addressing the Russian people. Here's this clip. I know that your government has told you that this is a war to denazify Ukraine. This is not true. Ukraine is a country with a Jewish president, a Jewish president, I might add, whose father's three brothers were all murdered by the Nazis. You see, Ukraine did not start this war. I regret to tell you that thousands of Russian soldiers that have been killed. They have been caught between Ukrainians fighting for their homeland and the Russian leadership fighting for conquest. Jason, any chance that that message, not just Arnold's, but the message about what this war is all about, really does get through the Russian people? And I'd like to each of you to respond. And um, are we likely to see uh, any blowback from the Russian people? I, Jason, yeah, I, I have been sort of surprised at how quickly you know that 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 um, people who are resisting Putin have found ways around the propaganda machine. I mean, it's pretty airtight. In terms of like the, the you know Putin's control of the media, but you had the protests with the journalist uh, on 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 the Russian television station uh, earlier this week. Uh, you've got Arnold <laughs> now. You yeah. know, I mean, like talk about a a, a a life change, right? I mean, he went from saving the world in movies to trying to save the world in real life. Yeah, um, and <laughs> and you know things like there there has always been a way to get through to people in an underground you know way. I mean, in the in the sixties and seventies. It was Sami's dot, you know, like literally like hand print, printed mm -hmm. uh, underground literature and so forth. And I just think that there are too many ways to reach people now uh, that that things are getting they're they're getting under the skin, you know, of of Putin, obviously, because uh, he I mean, he is a control freak. And I, I just I can't help but think that even if it's like a small, you know, you know, sort of sway away from Putin, that's that's got to be 
difficult because there's already plenty of, of reasons to, to not like living in Russia right now. And Jennifer, even if uh, people do get the news, um, uh, they pay a severe price for speaking out. 15 years, right, for calling a war a war? Yeah, exactly. Um, it you know, There's a question of whether the information gets to people, and then the secondary question is what do people do about it? Um, which is, you know, a pretty heartbreaking thing to think about from the United States where we have the comfort to uh, mm -hmm. say what we want. Um, I was I was struck by how powerful Schwarzenegger's video was. You know, I kind of clicked on it just, you know, saying I, I have to watch this. And then um, it was it was a very moving um, message, you know, citing his father, um, uh, his uh, um, role in World War Two and. Um, it, it, it was it was just a shockingly powerful message. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and Tom, one thing that uh, Schwarzenegger mentioned, which uh, Putin is, I think, trying to to hide from the Russian people, is the number of Russian soldiers who have been killed uh, in in this war. Uh, I've, I've seen estimates of over four thousand, which is um, a lot more than America lost in Iraq and Afghanistan. So yeah. there, there's a there's a toll there, right? That, that yeah. the Russian people have to feel. I mean, you know, it kind of feels like the um, kind of like the soft power of uh, of you know Western culture, pop culture in the in the eighties. You know, ninety nine Luft Balloons, right? Built off of Rolling Stones saw you know Rolling Stones concert in Germany in the middle of the Cold War, right? It's like. It's speaking directly to that. And mm -hmm. I mean, this stuff is incredibly moving. Same, you know, same thing with Jen. Like I was, you know, you flip through Twitter, you are a, we are awash in content right now. And it's like, oh my God, like another one. Okay, fine, whatever. I'll watch it. And by the end of that thing, I was, I was tearing up, man. You know, he was talking about the, the weightlifter, the, the Russian weightlifter who inspired him. And his father is like, no. We do not put Russians here. We put Austrians mm. or Germans, you know, pictures of them on our walls. We don't put up, you know, pictures of Russians. And it's just like, I don't know, man. Like it really, to me, it feels like on February 23rd into February 24th, you know, Zelensky said when those cruise missiles landed in the middle of the night, you know, waking up their children, the Ukrainian children, um, it just feels like it was a global reset. Uh, like, yeah. In, in, at every level, right, and uh, and almost uh, pretty soon, next week it'll be a month of this war uh, mm. in Ukraine, which certainly has not gone as well as Vladimir Putin had thought. All right, that wraps us up for the news of the week. But uh, as uh, you regular listeners know and panelists know, we never uh, walk away from our roundtable without checking in with our panelists to see what was the one story this week that caught your attention particularly, made you kind of stop in your tracks and say, oh, wow, that's uh, weird, or that's funny, or that's sad, or just got your attention in one way or the other. Jennifer Habercorn, start us off, please, your favorite story of the week. Sure. Um, uh, mine is not exactly a story, but it is work okay. by... Um, my colleague at the Los Angeles Times, uh, Marcus Yam, who's our foreign correspondent and photographer, this um, he's been doing just excellent work in Ukraine. Um, his uh, uh, photo uh, photojournalist perspective, it's called Amid War in Ukraine, a photojournalist perspective. He's been updating it frequently. Um, just very powerful, moving images. Um, obviously, he's not the only uh, photojournalist in Ukraine, but just doing uh, uh, really excellent work bringing home 
the story of the people who are being impacted by this war. The reporting from Ukraine, I think, has been incredibly powerful and good, good and powerful. Uh, and of course, I agree. a couple of journalists already have lost their lives. And, and these people are really risking their lives every day to report what's what's really going on. Uh, thank you, Jen. Jason, what caught your attention? So this was sort of uh, a, a little a little out of left field, but it's the kind of it's related to Ukraine, and it's also I think uh, you know it's sort of public service journalism, if you will. Uh, about six days ago, Mashable uh, did a, a piece about how Zelensky's "Servant to the People" uh, television series, which is you know what what catapulted him into you, the U. You know Ukraine's consciousness. You know he plays a history teacher who kind of you know ends up president of of Ukraine, and you know from that Zelensky started his own political career and ended up president. Well, Mashable did this you know sort of story about mm-hmm. how this is a great television series that you can't find anywhere, <laughs> and and it, it had uh, left Netflix. It had been on Netflix for a little while, uh, and then Zelensky's uh, folks had started uh, loading it to YouTube, but it's still you know like you, you can only see it in with Russian subtitles. And and it was just like the Mashable point was like, this is a really good uh, series. It's reminiscent of Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And it's also telling the, the, the backstory of this person's, you know, of Zelensky's, you know, very unlikely rise to power. Uh, and then, you know, and, and then they said like, here, so here's how you can see it in, in some f- sort of form. Well, lo and behold, yesterday, Netflix announces it is coming back to, uh, at least the first season is coming back to Netflix. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to, it's going to be added to the queue, uh, for, for me, for sure. And I, I just thought that this is a good, this is a really nice side story to this, uh, and, and adds a lot of context and is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I loved Jen, your earlier comment to Zelensky's choice of clothing. You compare that to the pictures we see of Winston Churchill, beautifully dressed down like a <laughs> Lord, right? Addressing the, the English people and, and Zelensky, whom he's of course compared to, with his uh, army T-shirt. Yeah, very, mm-hmm. powerful, very, very powerful. Hey, Tom, uh, help us out. What, what, yeah. uh, what was your stopped you in your tracks this week? Yeah, you know, uh, not exactly new, but I, I kind of go with the uh, the parent on the playground test, right? You know, what, what do I? What can I not stop talking about? And it's really that, like, uh, it's those. There's, I just keep on coming back to these two pieces from the Atlantic from the end of last year, Barton Gelman and Ann Applebaum, you know, the two fronts of these kind of these anti-democratic forces, which really, you know, coalesced in, in, you know, weeks ago now in Putin invading Ukraine. On the one hand, we have the the fallout from January 6th, which Barton Gelman wrote about. And Beautifully. Still see. Right. Yeah. Going into the local level and the state level, which we at the national level very often ignore or we don't get to. Um, and that's still a thing, you know, Wisconsin, the Republicans in Wisconsin are still pushing this, trying to decertify the election. Trump is helping them. Um, so that is still a persistent threat. Um, and then the second part of that is what Ann Applebaum wrote about, which is that this is not autocracy the way that we think about it from the 1930s. It's more decentralized. And, you know, again, that was written in, as soon as she wrote that at the end of last year, what was so fascinating about that, you know, I, get, I don't know how much that has changed now with the economic sanctions, you know, it was, you know, the yachts, right? You know, how much has that changed? I don't know entirely like that dynamic, but one of the things she picked up on, which was like, I mean, just nailed it was 
uh, Putin and Lukashenko in Belarus pushing this, uh, creating a refugee crisis, an immigration crisis at the Polish mm. border. I mean, yeah. look at that now in the run up right. to this, you know, same thing now with the trucker convoy, all of that. Right. Now we've seen 3.2, latest count, I've seen 3.2 million refugees. Mm. Um, well, thank you. Let me check, <laughs> chime in. Uh, you, uh, our panelists and like Jen this morning often talk about your own colleagues' work. Um I want to sort of, my favorite story of the week uh, was um, our own work here on the Bill Press Pod and in uh, our latest podcast with former National Security Advisor, Donald Trump's National Security Advisor, John Bolton. Uh, I must say, uh, I was a little nervous about interviewing John Bolton. I've never agreed with John Bolton, to my knowledge, about anything at all in my entire life or his. Um but I found that he made a lot of sense talking about Ukraine. And what really struck me was that John Bolton was flat out. Again, this is a former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. under George Bush, former National Security Advisor Donald Trump. He said that Donald Trump, the idea that Putin would not have invaded Ukraine if Donald Trump had been president is pure bullshit, uh, that Donald Trump didn't know anything about Ukraine. He said he probably couldn't even find it on a map. All he cared about Ukraine was where were they hiding Hillary's email server. Uh, and he said that's why he came to the conclusion that Donald Trump was unfit to be president of the United States, which is why he resigned as national security advisor. Uh, and in terms of Putin having any fear of Donald Trump, uh, this is again John Bolton speaking, uh, listen to the podcast, the last Tuesday's podcast, John Bolton said, no, Putin wasn't afraid of Trump. He said, they have a phrase in Moscow, it's called useful idiot. And that's who Donald Trump was to, to Vladimir Putin, and that they have not forgotten it. So I guess maybe those who know Trump best, <laughs> uh, if they're willing to speak out, speak out the strongest, uh, John Bolton. So uh, panelist, politics does make strange bedfellows after all. <laughs> it sure did in that case. Thank you. A great big thank you to today's panel. Jennifer Habercorn from the LA Times. Always good to have you back, Jen. Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call, uh, one of our regulars and our best. Thank you, Jason. And Tom, good to have you join the crowd. Hope to have you back again. Thanks to our panel and thanks to all of you for listening today. Uh, I just want to remind you, uh, boy, there's lots of lots of evidence out there. We are not out of the woods yet when it comes to COVID. We've got this new scary variant, um, BA2, whatever it is. Uh, this week, the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, the former president of the United States, 10 members of Congress came down with COVID. So we still have to be careful. Still wear that mask whenever you can. Take care of yourselves. Have a great weekend and then come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.